0: We made this.
1: And welcome to You Have Been Watching, a podcast devoted to looking in-depth into the fascinating curiosity that is the British television sitcom, part of the We Made This Podcast Network. I'm your host, Tony Black, and I'm joined by my co-host slash puss face, Robert Turnbull. And in this episode, we're talking about the uh, Channel 4 sitcom Friday Night Dinner, written by Robert Popper, which ran between 2010 and to 2020 the show revolves around the Goodmans a modern Jewish family in London who every Friday night gather for dinner at the middle class home of Jackie sorry Jackie uh, Tamsin Greg and uh, Jackie. <laughs> Jackie and Martin Paul Ritter um, their two adult sons in their 20s Adam played by Simon Bird and Johnny uh, played by Tom Rosenthal arrive to find their parents in the middle of either some kind of crisis predicament or general slice of family awkwardness often involving their weird neighbour Jim, played by Mark Heap, and the dog he's terrified of, Wilson, or later, Milson, and are forced to navigate the strange behaviour, uh, all while constantly trying to prank and one-up <laughs> the other. So, I mean, the fact that we've been laughing, Rob, already at the description of Friday Night Dinner, I think s- suggests that we're both fans of this one.
2: I Yeah, I, I love it. It's, it's such a great show. Uh, it's because you know what? it's quite it's quite unassuming yeah. in itself it's a you know it's a sort of a, a fairly traditional kind of sitcom setup uh, but the the caliber of people involved is so high and it's like you know for anyone who's it's like we're giggling there it's because as soon as you say wilson you don't even have to do a voice <laughs> you just say wilson and in your brain <laughs> you picture mark heath yeah you picture him like flinching yeah <laughs> from his own dog it's like Wilson, Wilson. it's just like that's it's there it's
1: like such, yeah yeah so yeah I
2: love
0: it I
1: love it's this show so good and uh I, let, let's start then with how we usually start which is what first exposure to this so I mean when when did when did you first watch Friday Night Dinner was it at the very beginning or did you come into it a bit later
2: yeah I watched it from the start it's like I you know I often try and watch new new comedies when they come out. And especially this one, you know, I'll, I'll fess up. I'm not always the biggest Robert Popper fan. Like, I, I like a lot of the stuff that he's involved with. But some, sometimes when he's sort of like, it, almost in that sketch show kind of way, you know, a little bit hit and miss. So like, I was kind of like, okay, like Robert Popper, he's, you know, he's solid. You know, it's, it's not like Amando Anucci. Like Armando Anucci, if I see his name, I'm like... Yeah, definitely. I'm in for this. Robert Popper, I'm a little bit more like, okay, let's see, see how it goes. But I generally enjoy his stuff. Uh, But of course, the on-screen cast was just like it was almost like a no brainer. You you know, I will I will watch anything with Tamsin Grieg in it. I'll watch anything with Mark Heap. And if the two of them are together, it's just like, bingo. Yeah, I'm there. So I was, yeah. Watched it from the beginning, um, was sort of interested and, and relatively excited uh and uh I yeah i really liked it from the from the get go
1: i feel like it might have been series 2 or 3 when i watched started watching because it it was it had got an g- increasing word of mouth i think fairly quickly that that it it, sort yes. of ca- it it was i think it was relatively successful right from the very beginning and i think by by the second or third series i think the word of mouth had really spread that this was one of if not the best new comedy around right now. So I think I, and then I, I, but I do, I do remember particularly watching, I think it was like the, the fourth, fifth and sixth series. Like they, it was appointment viewing by that point. You know, it was very much, Oh, it's back. Right. Mm. Absolutely. Putting that on the, on the skybox oh, yeah. or whatever every week and enjoying it every week, you know, and that, that in this day and age, that's such a rare thing. Like to have a comedy show for me anyway, it was so rare to have a British comedy show that I just found I couldn't miss. You know, there, there were only a handful of them over the last decade. You know, I'd say things like Peep Show, which was coming towards the end of its life, really. But that was still appointment viewing for me. You know, but there weren't that many. And so, so Friday Night Dinner was a really... It was really quite special for those few years in that it was something... When you knew it was coming back, it was oh oh, you know, because you know this is going to be good. even when, Even when some of the episodes are aren't as good and there are it's not all gold like there are a few episodes i mean they do 37 so you're not going to get 37 great episodes some of them are a bit duff but even the duff ones you still will laugh at them there are still things to enjoy the performances are always just absolutely perfect so you know you're always guaranteed that you're gonna have a good time i think so it, it was it was great to have that kind of appointment comedy again
2: Peep Show is is a good example actually because I you know Peep Show was another one for me which was kind of a, you know yeah definitely appointment but I think that for me Friday night dinner and in fairness perhaps because Peep Show ran for so long when Peep Show was coming back I always had this sense of like right is this going to be the shit series so it'd be like new series of Peep Show or oh, I'm excited for it but is this going to be the shit series because the last series Maybe they were getting too old. Maybe they were redoing the gags, and then I would watch Peep Show and usually be, you know, you know, still still enjoy it. Be kind of like, oh no, it's it's good. They've still got got the spark. Whereas Friday Night Dinner, yeah, like you say, every every time it's like there's a new series starting. It's starting in a in a few weeks. I'd be like, yes, brilliant, definitely. It's it's going to be it's going to be funny. It's going to be it's going to be solid, and perhaps part of that is because it doesn't. It doesn't overstretch itself as a comedy. It, it It's fairly simple. It's fa- I don't want to say basic, because that's unfair, but it's sort of... The principle is... It's not high concept. It doesn't have to top itself. Like, the, the, the shenanigans that go on, it's not that they get bigger and bigger and bigger, so they don't have to, like... You know, you don't have to suddenly have houses yeah. exploding or, you know, people going on holiday and planes crashing it's like it doesn't have to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger it can just tick along every couple of episodes something a bit more physically destructive might happen to the house but it's never something that that ch- there's never too much peril it never changes the dynamic so it's just sort of like comfortable and i think there is a it's a really comfortable show which sounds like a horrible compliment to describe it as comfortable um but I mean that in relation to, to, especially kind of like the older sitcoms, how they make us feel, that sort of little bit of excitement, that, that genuine joy when they're coming back and, and that, that enjoyment of being with the characters. I think this, this show really kind of like taps into that. So yeah, like, like you say, you know, not every episode is gold, but even the, the less good episodes are still really fun and enjoyable. And I, I never worried that it was going to get shit, basically. Which which I have done with other shows, you know. Other shows, even, you know, we talked about The Office a few episodes ago. Even, you know, even going into the second series of that, it's like, oh, is this, is it going to work as well as the first series? Christmas specials. Oh, is this going to, are they going to ruin it here? If they do they have something perfect? Peep show, all that kind of stuff. This, I think, it, it just beautifully it beautifully paces itself and it it just keeps the quality high and, mm. and comfortable oh i keep saying comfortable no I'll, by the end of this i'll have thought of a better word than
1: comfortable <laughs> yeah but you, you're right though it is it, it's it's safe and comfortable without being twee or maudlin or or unfunny or anything like that it, it, it is the safety of it is that the concept like you say, it never changes there was a Uh, Apparently Tamsin Greg wanted to, she kept pushing Robert Popper to change it up so Jackie and Martin go and see the Lat Boys in their houses for one episode and he resisted it. He consistently would resist anything that diverted from the concept of the Friday night dinner at the family home and they come to them. And I think, I think he was right, ultimately. I think, I think that was the right decision because, yes, you could have had fun with Adam or Johnny trying to entertain the parents and Jackie's picking everything out and going, oh, what are you doing? And Martin's like going, I found a screwdriver underneath the, you know, all this kind of thing. You could have done that <laughs> easily, right? And then, you know, you, the comedy of Jim having driven all across town to come in and go, hi all! What are you doing here, Jim? You live like 10 miles away. Um, you could have absolutely done all that. But I think ultimately the, the key to Friday night dinner is that it, it's a fixed thing. It is very much a... It, it resets every week. And, and I mean, it, it's quite... We'll talk about this, I'm sure. But it's quite astonishing how well in the office it has it has some sort of story arc going on whether it's Tim or Dawn or whether it's Brent or whether it's the company or whatever and things have to evolve things have to move Friday Night Dinner doesn't really ever need to do that Friday Night Dinner never really evolves in a way it is you could watch episode 1 and episode 37 and yeah okay they look a bit older it looks slightly different in terms of its film maybe but essentially in episode 1 you probably have a reference to Jackie saying when are you going to get a boy when are you going to get a girlfriend where are your females (laughs) You know, and that's it. You know, that is it. And that's the whole show. And I think it's incredible, really, how it manages to get away with it. In, it's particularly in this modern age where we're used to characters developing and evolving. We're used to, you know, if it was any other show, there been all kinds of, you know, nappy problems and all this, it never does that. Well, this this is the perfection
2: of it as a show. And, and this idea, yeah, the you know, you can you can instantly imagine, oh, how funny would it be if... if uh... You know, if they went round to the kids' house and, and you know, and all this kind of stuff. But it's like actually the reality is that what we're looking at here is we're looking at a sitcom which is about the insanity of parents. And it's like, and I, I you know, I have this, you know, and I've had you know, you leave home and you go and you forge your own life and I I imagine that, that, that Adam and Johnny they probably have quite nice Flats that they live in and they lead normal lives and they have friends and you know it's like uh, you know johnny's got a, a solid you know johnny's got a grown-up job adam's got a you know a, a fairly successful but slightly more creative job they're real people who are obviously they're not mental <laughs> they're not silly and weird they're living their lives and the the, the chaos is when they go home are perfectly normal yeah That's it. And if you drop Jackie and Martin into their lives, yes, they'd cause some chaos. But but Johnny and Adam would be in control. They'd be in their bubble. And what it is, it's this, uh, you know, and I've experienced I'm sure you've experienced it when you go home, visit parents as much as you love them, as much as you're looking forward to it. There's that moment as you walk up the driveway where it's like, what madness is going to meet me? And you open the door. And your father is is just you know wearing his underwear, and your mother is trying to you know pickle rice because she had rice that was going to yeah. run out, so she decided to pickle it. She fa- it's this madness that
1: occurs. One of my favourites is when uh, it's Martin's birthday, and they go Happy birthday, Dad! And he goes Balls. <laughs> That's all he says. <laughs> balls, and she stops saying balls. It's balls. I love it. So it's a relatable situation.
2: It's so relatable. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely relatable. And, you know, and, and to more or less extent, you know, some some people are going to have, you know, straight up bizarre parents who are who are very similar to Jackie and Martin. Some people are going to have very normal parents, but they're still going to see the the weirdness of their parents reflected in these maybe more extreme characters. So I think it's it's hugely relatable. And funnily enough, I think it it it's, it doesn't set itself too rigidly on an age as well. I think, you know, a sort of like a a, you know, late-age teens can look at this and go, oh my god, my dad's just like that. But also my father in his 60s can watch it and kind of go, well yeah, my dad was exactly like that when we used to go and visit. So it's a brilliant format. Or it's you know what it is? It's a brilliant um version of the format. It's like he hasn't reinvented the wheel with this show. He hasn't really done anything new. He hasn't really done anything original, but he's kind of focused in on the the key points of what make this work and has just created like a a perfect, uh, perfect example of it.
1: I mean, credit to him. He is in with this. He wrote all 37. This is an absolute sort of from a writing perspective, an auteur project. This is pure. This is very much that kind of comedy. It's not like a writer's room comedy or anything like that. This is much more of a traditional British approach, you know. I mean, you know, we've talked about people like Roy Clark, you know, who's written like five thousand episodes of various shows just himself, you know. And there's lots of examples of these comedies that are written by one or two people in Britain, particularly. So it's nothing new in that sense, but it's always still an achievement, I think, for somebody to create something of their own. And he's, you know, so he's prolific in that sense. He got his start working for the comic strip years ago, so he's, he's in his fifties now. Uh, under Peter Richardson, so he he began with an irreverent approach. He wrote for the Big Breakfast when he was writing the uh, zig and zag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Big Breakfast for any transatlantic listeners was a, a, a quite a, 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 an alternative breakfast show in the mornings on Channel Four, which was very much the alternative sort of channel. Uh, and still is in many ways, but I, I, it was the one that all the younger people watch. You know, the big breakfast. All or, or your parents were watching GMTV. We wanted to watch the Big Breakfast with Johnny Vaughan and Denise Van Outen. That was uh, <laughs> that was the fun one to watch. Denise Van Outen. <laughs>
2: Actually, I've worked with I've worked with Denise Van Outen. She is lovely. She's one of the absolute nicest people.
1: But we all we did all fancier in the '90s. To be fair, it's okay. It's all right.
2: Everyone her. still now. She hasn't aged, has
1: she? But he did a bit of acting. He appeared on the 11 o'clock show, um, which we talked about when we talked about The Office, because that was the break for people like Ricky Gervais, Sash Baron Cohen, you know, the, all, all that. Which was so he had the he had this background in Channel Four, particularly Channel Four comedy things. Things like uh, he was involved in things like Bo Selector, which is the. Hit and miss Lee Francis anarchic show uh, with lots of comedy characters, which I think if there was ever a show now that you look back on and thought, that has aged badly.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, not not to digress, but so that that's a show that I hated. So when, when I'm talking about my, my Robert Popper kind of like, yeah, yeah, no, it's like, that was something I hated. But then something like Look Around You, which he was involved with, yeah. really liked. Yeah. So...
1: He, he did that with uh, Peter Serafinowicz, which was probably what it was a spoof uh, science comedy wasn't it that that I think that that did very well yes and was very popular so that'd be f- a fun one for us to look at actually I think one day and have, uh, and that would be great that would be nice at, yeah. um, but he was involved in various put it, put it on the list the ever-expanding list but you know he was involved <laughs> in things like Black Books Spaced Bremner Bird and Fortune a lot of this comedy in the the, the 90s and the noughties that was that was popular some of it you know stuff like Spaced has gone down as you know one of the greats and that kind of thing so you know, he had a very sort of comic pe- pedigree, really, um, before he developed... You know, he produced um, the third and fourth series of Peep Show as well, and that was probably amongst the, the, the high points of that show, really. I think that, that sort of midpoint is probably Peep Show at its best, really. He was the script editor on all three series of The Inbetweeners, which obviously is where he would have forged his friendship with Simon Bird on that show. What do you think of him as a writer? What do, you, what do you, do you feel? Cause, cause to be fair, a lot of this, a lot of Friday night dinner is very autobiographical. You know, he's described how he's a lot of Martin. He's in his dad, things like the top coming off, you know, saying things are like, boiling that kind of stuff. But I think a lot of what he does and, and the Jewish aspect as well, you know, a lot, a lot of that came from his background and things like this. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the particular relationships and some of the, you know, the comic scenarios, but I think he manages to create things that are both maybe specific to his family experience, but rel- rel- relative to a- 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 many of our own. I mean, uh, <laughs> as ridiculous as it is, I know I'm not like a middle-aged dad, but I've had, definitely had days where it's in the summer where I've taken my top off at home and gone, oh, it's bloody hot. And I've just walked around the house without my top on. Like, And my wife will go, oh my God, Like, do you, are you going to put a C-shirt on? And I'm like, it's hot.
2: Really, it's really hot. And the, so I totally, Oh, I do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. So for me, Robert Popper is a little bit like Kevin Eldon, who we, we may have spoken about. I, I feel like Kevin Eldon is someone he's like, much like his career. Uh, I think Kevin Eldon is going to pop up in our discussions yeah, quite a lot he will. over the various episodes. Yeah. It, and, and, and the reason I say that is that, you know, we've we, I think we've talked about the fact that Kevin Eldon as a performer is somebody who has for years and years and years been popping up and doing very good work in other people's projects um, and maybe has never had the opportunity to do his or not effectively to do his own project. And I think Robert Popper, uh, probably until Friday Night Dinner, was kind of similar. You know, you've listed this this great selection of stuff that he's done and you know some stuff that i really like some stuff that i don't like and i'm sure you're the same you don't necessarily adore his his everything that he's been involved with but he's somebody who for years and years has been heavily involved in other people's projects i think his work on those projects has has perhaps always been solid whilst the projects themselves are you know different styles different qualities so I was actually I was actually slightly surprised to see him get his own show properly, his own show when he did Friday Night Dinner. I was also slightly surprised at how I don't want to say ordinary it was, but how conventional it was. You know, it's like because in my mind, Robert Popper is a guy who sort of like writes and script edits on weird stuff, stuff like Peep Show, which is a little has a little bit of a nasty grimy streak or stuff like Look Around You which is a bit weird and a bit surreal obviously he performed in that as well a bit weird and a bit surreal and all these different shows that he was involved with and then Friday Night Dinner felt so ordinary that I was kind of like oh this is not what I expected Rob, Robert- I thought Robert Popper's first big successful project by himself was going to be something off the wall and weird but it's beautifully beautifully written And that's what makes it stand out. So I think that his writing is to to wheel back to the sort of the the question of it. His writing, this I think, is fantastic because he takes what could have been a very very mundane sitcom concept, and he just puts in. He manages to to nail the realism of it, whilst just teetering towards surreal. But it's that kind of the surreal of of everyday life the kind of surrealism that we we genuinely get presented with you know the stuff that sure, oh no, we'll, we'll talk about jim in, in more detail in a moment but some of the stuff that jim does sh- he kind of shalom sh- 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 shalom <laughs> shalom <laughs> shalom Shalom. <laughs> <laughs> well we we persons that is you don't bush <laughs> mm. oh, God. Uh, but the, like like jim jim is jim is you know he's he's out there he's he's really out there but he's he is still believable and I, I think you know what I think there's a little bit of the uh there's a little bit of the one foot in the graves about this show uh, and, and in terms of the writing in that you know one foot in the grave like the most Bizarre things happen, but nothing happens that that you couldn't imagine actually happening to somebody. It's just that all those things happen to Victor in a half-hour episode, and it's the same with Friday Night Dinner. It's like thirty-seven um, episodes, whatever it is, and you know all these kind of like these crazy things happen again. It's not always like exploding caravans, you know, but it's like all these bizarre things happen. And so you look at that in a series of like, you know, a couple of dozen episodes and you go, well, that's a bit crazy. And it's like, but actually, no, nothing that happens to them is unrealistic. And what what really grounds it and holds it all together is is the quality of the writing of the characters, the relatability of those characters. Big part of that obviously comes from the performances, which, again, we'll we'll expand on. But I think, yeah, I was slightly surprised that this was Robert Popper, simply because of his previous work. But I was also very pleasantly surprised by how, how skillfully he's he's written and constructed what could have been a very boring, mundane kind of sitcom.
1: I, I see a line, a real sort of line, where if you could put Friday Night Dinner in between both One Foot in the Grave at one end, and, I mean, you could say this about so many comedies, and we have done already, but Faulty Towers on the other, in the sense of... When you were describing Papa there, I, I, thought, I was immediately thinking yeah. of John Cleese at the time that he made Faulty Towers. And we talked about this in the episode, where when, when Faulty Towers came out, everyone was like, oh, what? he's done a sitcom about a hotel and people in a hotel. He just was doing Monty Python where it was all really weird and surrealist. And then he's come and done this. And then it's absolutely not what mm. you would expect. And, and it manages to take a scenario. And, I, and I you know, with, with Friday Night Dinner, it's maybe not quite as expertly crafted as Faulty Towers. I mean, you know, not what is, really. I don't think much is. But it certainly no. has the same idea about how, essentially, Faulty Towers, as we said in our episode talking about it, it reboots every week, and it, and, it, and you, there's no arc, there's no story. You can watch any of them out of order, and it's the same idea, but then it takes, takes everything, and it builds the escalation. They were surprised at how long the script was, but that's because Popper, and maybe this is the difference, throws so much in, in terms of the speed and the intensity of what's actually happening, that that so much is crammed in, and then you've got the level of plotting, which is quite intricate in some ways, but deceptively intricate, I think, in that it seems more less complex than it actually is, and that's the one foot in the grave aspect Ooh. to it. Not necessarily as detailed and as minute as David Renwick could do with that show, but it's sort of that halfway house, I think, between these particularly farcical, almost absurdist performances a speed to it where you've got, particularly with Adam and Johnny, where you've got them constantly bickering, constantly pranking each other, constantly calling each other puss face, piss face, running around the house. You know, I mean, there's one episode where um, he ch- Johnny's chasing Adam while Adam's trying to have a phone call. He's chasing him around the house trying to grab his phone and he and to the point where he puts his head in the toilet. And it's really, really quick and paced. And when you actually look at how they filmed it, and the behind some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, they were they, it was a real house they filmed it in in London. And it wasn't a set or anything where they could have taken walls away and they could have had more space. Yeah. They filmed it in a, in a house, a fairly you know, decent-sized house, but when you've got 50 people in there, it's crammed to the point that the cast used to live in in that in the attic, and they'd have a little space, tiny little crappy space in the attic where they'd just go and play boggle, like together for, for like in their breaks, and they were just crammed in this attic. It wasn't like a luxurious green room or a trailer or anything. So they were all crammed into this house and there was a claustrophobia to it that it's incredible when you look at the finished product at how you don't feel that at all. Like it's amazing really how they managed to pull that off. Because when you see behind the scenes, it's just ridiculous. It's like a it's it's just crammed, full of cameramen, all these different people on set. So I think the skill of Friday Night Dinner is managing to make to keep that speed and that intensity up every week. And like you said, never tip over into something that's ridiculous always have that one foot in this is very absurdist quite heightened but yes in theory jim could come in with a septic tank from a caravan in the garden and spill tons of shit all over the floor yeah <laughs> just, who, is, hasn't this, who, who hasn't, hasn't done, done that who hasn't done that and then his dog starts eating it up it's just you know it, it <laughs> it's possible we've all been it's there possible. we've all been there and, and it, by that point, I think the, by that point, the, the, the comedy has earned it. Yes. That's the thing. I think the episodes always earn the payoff you get in this because there's so much thrown in there that Popper does in the dialogue, in the little recurring things that people do, in all of the sayings and all of the. It's so intricate in a way that it's, like I say, it's deceptive. And I think that's the real skill of this in the, and that's why they just rock it by. And it's, tw- bear in mind, it's, it's 23 episodes, 23 minutes a week because yeah. it's, it's like an American style comedy because they have ad breaks.
2: Yeah. I mean, they get so much. And, and, you know, a huge part of that is down to the quality of the performances. Um and Popper obviously deserves credit for that. You know, he deserves the credit for his writing, he deserves the credit for his directing. And he deserves the credit for for choosing the cast. You know, whether he wrote it for the cast or whether he, you know, he found the cast. You know, he, he has put together a great a great production. And you know, I I mean I, I, I know some people who worked on it, and it was, you know, by all accounts, it was, you know, one of the one of the most fun, almost bizarre, but one of the most fun, intense shows to work on. And I think that that speed is what because because at its core, it's 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 a farce, but it's not a farce of the extremes. It's just a farce of the mundane. And, you know, because it isn't, you know, it's not revolving door farce. It's just the kind of the the re, that build up. And, and so you need a certain speed with that, you know, with when you're doing more of a, a revolving door or the farce of the extreme, then you can sort of take it slow. You pace it because you might just have one huge, big, elaborate payoff But because this is more of a farce of the mundane. You need that that build. You need a bit of a crescendo on it. Uh, and I think the, the skill is in is in keeping maintaining that speed, that pace rather than speed sorry that it's in it's about maintaining that pace without ever stumbling over itself or losing track of what's going on
1: yeah definitely because it is it is really mo- mundane the concept is mundane the kids come home they have dinner with their parents and the scenarios are always usually fairly oh grandma's coming round, and she's bringing a horrible yeah. boyfriend with her or horrible grandma's coming round, and we hate her or um, Auntie Val as you know, mum's best friend has been kicked out by her husband, and she's living there, and she's horrible. But I mean, there's one that episode that particularly reminds me of Faulty Towers, where they they're trying to hide a dead fox from Jackie oh yes. that it has been in Martin's freezer. Yeah, <laughs> 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 and he's and he often will rope the boys into these things. He's like, "Come on," uh, you know, and they're like, "What?" And and What I, what I really like about it is the. I mean, do you think it's self-aware, the comedy? Because I do, in the sense that. Adam and Johnny almost feel a bit like a Greek chorus sometimes in that they'll come in and you'll get Martin or Jackie or anyone else saying things and they'll turn to each other and they'll, and they'll repeat it. But in that sense of, Oh yeah, he just did say that, didn't he? So Martin will go, Oh, he's a spanner. And then Adam will go spanner. You know, and turn to Johnny and go, spanner. It's almost like they're turning to us and going, yep, spanner. Weird, isn't it? There's so many instances of them sort of looking at each other or almost looking at us in a way without breaking the fourth wall and going, this is odd. This is weird behaviour. We know it's not normal. And we're almost... They start at a remove when they come into the house. They start at this point of what the fuck is going on? And then by the end, they are completely drawn into it. A, because they revert to being children once they get into that house. And B, because... Deep down, they're they're the same, and deep down, probably when they're in their fifties, they're going to be exactly the same oh, as Martin yeah. in many ways. Yeah. So, do you know what I mean? Well, I, but I love that. Well,
2: I think I think what the show does is like, and sort of you know the, the the first series, I guess, kind of establishes this for us, and then from the second onwards, it kind of this this coalesces into place. Is that you know basically the episode always kind of opens with them walking up the drive. It's like that's that's the moment that the adventure starts. What you become aware of. Um, once the show has kind of established its format, what you become aware of is that whatever is going to happen this evening, whatever is going to happen while the boys are there, it didn't start when they arrived. That has been going on all day, possibly all week. There's a huge big precursor that we're not aware of and the boys aren't aware of that gets sort of spoon fed to us or sometimes just thrown at us when they walk through the door. So, th- So whatever is happening has already been happening for hours and they're stepping into it but also this idea you know as they walk up the door you know up to the door they might have the odd comment of like you know how how, how long before we hear females and this kind of thing because you know that what has happened is they've they've had their half an hour drive to get here and on that half hour drive they've been talking about last Friday and like oh my god what was going on with that fox <laughs> I hope dad hasn't got that fox <laughs> and that's what because that's what we do when we go to see our parents we, we say oh my god remember the last time we were there and I had to fix that shelf but they didn't have any brackets and they wanted me to use plasticine to fill the holes in the wall you start reminiscing about these bizarre things that happened last time and then you walk through the door and your parents have got a whole new drama which has been going on for the last three days since you last saw them and I think that the show kind of establishes that in the first series. And then by the time you hit the second series, that little moment, that walking up the driveway moment that the boys have at the beginning of each episode, that is almost, that in itself almost breaks the fourth wall because that is is the point where the episode says, right audience, here we go, you know what to expect. And the door opens and it begins. So it is almost like a... I think you're right. It's it's very self-aware without being smug or without leaning into its self-awareness. But those those little moments at the beginning with the boys arriving—that's just the little moment that the episode says, "Here we go.
1: Let's yeah. get ready." Yeah, 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 definitely. You, you're right in that it's never it's never smug enough to for, you know to have them literally turn to the camera and you know that it doesn't have to be. It's bringing us in because we know that we like you say we recognise a lot of these traits and these scenarios even if these things don't happen to us because this is comedy and it is heightened to an extent obviously we understand though that when we go and visit our parents or we go and see family there's going to be weird things there's going to be traits there's going to be particular quirks that are here I mean I think this show is brilliant at that it's brilliant at lots of little things that that repeat recur in the show all the time that are funny but Makes sense in terms of the family dynamic horrible yeah. boys or these kind of things you know it's this it's it's the way she talked to them all these little tiny things the recurring ideas is is particularly key because they these are definitely the kind of things we have i mean i had a horrible grandma you <laughs> know if you did i did oh yeah we we did as I well i did and and she yeah. she was my dad's mom again and uh, she was somebody she never to be yep. fair she never really came to visit but uh, my mum's mum, i always loved to say my nan's mom, whose name was Ivy, um, and my mom used to call her poison ivy, just to turn, to turn the needle in <laughs> uh, yeah. she and she t- I, 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 she was always just miserable like she wasn't a ho- she wasn't like you know, Rosalind Knight in this show who's just fucking evil, like you know Martin's mom. oh really friend, she wasn't yeah. like that, but she was just miserable, like miserable, bitter old woman, and I hated going there, and it's not often that comedy manages, I think, to sort of get that.
2: What I find about it is there's, there's something in the dialogue which there's a real realism to the way that they talk with each other that I, I don't necessarily think is, is as prolific or prominent. So the idea of like you know a, a nice grandma and a, a nasty grandma and yeah I'm exactly the same as you it's like I my, my dad's mum was our less pleasant grandmother obviously yeah nowhere near as horrendous as this and you know we still loved her very much but she was miserable and didn't approve of my mother and would harp and criticize about things and you know all all that kind of stuff You know, she is somebody who would bring her (laughs) own cake with her uh because she didn't want to eat the cake that we you know that that kind of stuff so that kind of thing very relatable for me but it's not it's not a new trope To have that, so you know, you will have you know other sitcoms, you know, and in other sitcoms they maybe tend to flip it around that the you know the the mother-in-law to the man, you know, so the father is kind of like, oh god, your mother's coming and she's awful. So the kind of the like the nice grandparent, nasty grandparent. That's not a new thing, but I think it's the the way that they define it, the way they talk about it, the fact that they do call her horrible grandma. That feels far more realistic than just having proverbial mother-in-law it just has a slight realism to it and the dialogue I think is peppered with this kind of stuff so lots of sitcoms can have these identifiable characters but there's something about this show because like you say specific to this show there's a dialogue that the characters have which is very much their own it's like they use phrases that they understand that people outside their family wouldn't understand but we do understand it because we also have those phrases that we use within our families that other people wouldn't understand if that makes any sense uh, one of my one of my favorite things i think i think i think popper talked about this early on uh, as an example is the shitty basket so they talk about the shitty basket and they're like you know i've got some clothes <laughs> i'll put it in the <laughs> shitty basket because they've got a basket which is shit yeah. it's not very good and but I, 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 genuinely, in my own home, I, I used to have a shitty basket. Yeah. I had a bad wash basket and then I bought two <laughs> new ones. But I kept the shit one because sometimes yeah. you needed to put things in the shit basket. And so there's this there's this idea of like that that kind of thing, that kind of dialogue. You know, the way that they swear at each other, you know, they swear all the time. And I find it really naturalistic, like really a really nice type of swearing. Like, it's not just... It's not just Martin with shit on it. It's not just that. It's not just, like, piss-faced stuff. It's like they all... They all swear all the time. The way that Martin very affectionately calls them cocks or, you know, shits. And and Jackie as well, you know. Jackie swears. Uh, You know, and... I mean, shit is kind of like the main one. There's such a realism in that dialogue. There's just this slight sense of... Basically it sounds really cheesy to say it but I think that you feel the love of a family you feel the affection no matter how extreme they're being that kind of slight grumpy slight teasy kind of thing that they do with each other they're kind of like telling each other, you know they, they do sometimes just tell each other to fuck off but that's something that you you only really get that properly with family love and dynamic and I think that it's it's, it's really rich, to be honest, for, for such a simple sitcom with, with, you know, on the surface of it, very basic um, kind of storytelling. I think it's very rich in how it's in how it sort of presents those characters.
1: The question I was going to ask you was, is this the defining sort of family sitcom of the 2010s, particularly in a way that, you know, ev- every decade, I think you can almost describe a comedy in British comedy anyway, that that is a family sitcom that is particularly definable for the age it's in. I mean, as much as I don't particularly like a lot of it, I think you could look at the 2000s and look at something like My Family with Robert Lindsay as being a particularly key sitcom for that family sitcom for that decade. Before that, I'd say something like 2.4 Children. Why did not dinner that one for, for the 2010s. And I suppose, what does it say about this decade we've just gone through that this family... It's got that realism. It's got that biting, like,ness to it in that they are they are swearing at each other. They are hitting each other. You know, it's quite violent at times. You know, they're smacking each other or this kind of. they punching each other, pranking each other. But it's yeah. it's all from a very familial place of love and affection. And the moment something would happen to any of them, they'd all be bereft, and they would all be there in a shot. And they, they, they all love each other so much. I think that's very. I think it's one of the first sitcoms to really get that and and depict a modern family who are all a bit all a bit mad at times. All not necessarily people people, you know, um, but that you know, because quite often they don't want people around. They don't. Like, oh God, have we got to go there, yeah. or have they got to come round? Or oh my God, all they want is to just come around and have the same repeating thing every week. They want the same. Food. They want the same crumble, crumble. You know, mum's crumble crumble, crumble, crumble. You know, crumble, crumble. They want all this. They want the familiarity of this family setup. Maybe in a world where things are, are quite chaotic elsewhere, you know, there's there's almost like the Goodman family. It's one of those scenarios that it's dependable, it's reliable, and there's a there's a comfort to that. I think it kind. I think it kind of
2: is. Into this this kind of like defining family sitcom whilst also i think there's a, there's a slight caveat that that maybe kind of like dissolves that that title simply because of the how prolific it was as a sitcom which which i guess are kind of like the, the sort of two slightly different things um i think the kind of the examples that you gave like 2.4 children which you know huge bbc one sitcoms even if you weren't a massive fan of, you know, they were probably probably still back in the day when you kind of watched whatever was on. So I think that the, the audience for those shows were, were much, much bigger, frankly, than Friday Night Dinner. Um, and so I think they kind of they fall into that. You know, if you're going to like put a label up saying, oh, the defining family sitcom of the 90s and you kind of go, you know, is it 2.4 Children? then I think, yeah, that 2.4 Children definitely gets to pin its flag. With the caveat that in the 90s, there were more sitcoms. So maybe there was more competition for what they're defining. But, you know, it's a very sort of very 90s representation of a family there. Definitely. Which I think 2.4 Children does very well. And then My Family is like there's a very... You know my family gets a lot of stick. I hope we do an episode on my family actually. My family gets a lot of um gets a lot of stick, and I think perhaps it you know perhaps as a show it was damaged by its later series where it just kind of like kept going on and on and on but particularly the first couple of series of that they're they're wealthy they live in a big house, but there was still something very genuine and relatable about the you know the the family dynamic that was going on there. So, yeah, I think that that, you know, it gets to pin its flag as a kind of definitive family sitcom. I think that Friday Night Dinner, in terms of how it represents a family, definitely, definitely fits with with a contemporary family. Definitely fits with what we think of as a family now. And I think it kind of sits alongside shows like Outnumbered. I, th- I think I think Friday Night Dinner in a, in a way is very similar to Outnumbered, no, not in its pace or it's or it's style or even it's it's kind of structure but this idea of re-examining the sitcom family I think that you know those two shows are kind of they they kind of fit that more you know outnumbered is maybe a a, a few years older than than Friday Night Dinner so perhaps it's this kind of like this path up but I think there is a there is a little bit of overlap yeah absolutely and I think both those shows and, and definitely Friday Night Dinner they kind of they kind of establish how we perceive, you know, a modern family and how we understand a family. So I do I do think it kind of it it deserves to be put up there as, as you know, perhaps the definitive family sitcom of, of, you know, the sort of the 2010s onwards. But I'd also argue that because it's not as prolific because it's perhaps not as well. I mean, it, it did really well. It had several series, and I'm sure, and we'll get onto this in a bit, I'm sure that it, it could have gone more, could have done more. But I do feel like, whilst everyone who watched it loved it, not that many people watched it. So it's kind of like, is is Gavin and Stacey more of a definitive family sitcom? or yeah? But Gavin and Stacey isn't necessarily family, but it does key into what we think of as family now. So... I think being able to kind of like put it up at the at the sort of the top is a bit more difficult. But I also think there are some really good examples of of how we perceive family in contemporary sitcoms, like Gavin Stacey and Outnumbered and Friday Night Dinner. And I think Friday Night Dinner definitely is a is a a strong contender. So that was a really that was a really long way of saying almost. <laughs>
1: maybe if maybe yeah no 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 you're right and you've you've pulled some great examples there i think i think that you're right in that those other examples are ones that would have been far have far greater viewing numbers and particularly gavin mm. and Stacey's very populist i think friday night dinner maybe is a bit more cult but i think it got bigger as time went on i think the channel 4 oh, it's yeah. like a sizable hit you know what i mean it's that kind of Breakout show that they don't always get. It, I wouldn't say it's cult necessarily. I think it's sort of in between. You're probably right. I think. I think it's one of those that's. It almost, in a way, almost. It, it could have been easily on the BBC or BBC yeah, think... Two. You know, because it has a lot of the, you know, accoutrements of those kind of shows. You know, it has the sick, has the catchphrases yeah. for one thing. I mean, it, it, this this is. I don't think. I mean, I know Gavin and Stacey has catchphrases and all these other shows, but I mean, Friday Night Dinner is just festooned with these things. There's so many of them, you know, from Martin Shit on It, you know, <laughs> through all the way through to you know him, Shit, on it. Shit on It, you know, uh, you know, through to his Bambinos and uh, you know, just just loads, loads and loads of catchphrases out there. You know, as we said earlier, Jim Shalom, you know, and all this. It's, Sha-
2: Shalom, Sh- shalom. Sh- oh, well, you,
1: you look nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 you look nice, Jackie. I even got my wife one of them for a, a Valentine's card. <laughs>
2: but you know you know what I think is like but this is what Friday night dinner does so well is that those those catchphrases actually feel real because we all have it. We all have turns of phrases that we use and, and it feels so real. Like, shit on it is a very good example. I, I you know, and my partner and I, we, we both now say shit
1: on it. Shit on it.
2: When things happen. Uh, but for me, this is a strange thing. It feels very real uh, because something that I have always said since I was quite young is that I say shit a brick.
1: Uh, yes. Um, in the same way in the,
2: in the same way that Martin says shit on it. Shit on I'll it. drop something or something that happened and I'll just be like oh shit a brick. Yeah. And and so for me to to sometimes say shit on it slipped in very easily. So I kind of I I, I now I now say that like yeah. non ironically. I'm not I'm not sort of quoting it. It sort of comes out sometimes. But that's the the joy of it. Um is that it doesn't feel forced. It does feel like something somebody would say. Uh, and, and even Jim you know Jim is the most extreme character in it but when he turns up and he's kind of like you know you look nice it's like that actually feels real because he will get on to Jim I'm sure Jim deserves lots of discussion to himself uh, but whatever is going on with Jim um, there is something fairly realistic about this this repetitive language that he uses saying the same thing to Jackie every time he sees her um shalom it's like obviously that's a that's a Uh, you know, it's it's a a legit greeting to use, I guess, even though he uses it inappropriately and in the wrong places. But the idea of somebody who doesn't quite get it and maybe has whatever's going on that Jim has going on would just keep saying it. Uh, So it doesn't feel like a, a catch. You know, you could very easily have a character in a slightly cheesier, more conventional sitcom who walks in and just goes, shalom, and audience give a big round of applause. But with Jim, you feel like, yeah, that's it seems realistic. Uh, you know, and, and like pus face and piss face, it's like yeah, because brothers and sisters do have silly names that they have for each other, uh, and I think that it, you're right. It's it is littered with catchphrases, but they're they're very subtle. They feel they feel they, they real. Do. They feel like dying. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, they're not they're not there just like you say to get that clap and that laugh and that hey, they said it, you know that kind of thing. Which was the same with with you know I don't believe it with Victor Meldrew. You know that that was one of that that was used far yeah. less than people think, and that and that's because it was you well, know I think. It was based on a reaction yeah, to, one... to, to something that you couldn't believe. You know, it was, I don't believe it. You know, whereas with Martin, it is always, he doesn't necessarily like say shit on it every episode, but it's always when something's happened, it's like, shit on it, you know, and it works. Yeah, it yeah. Does, It deserves a shit on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. It, yeah. In those moments, you're like, yeah, that needs a shit on
2: it. <laughs> and fe- females. Any females? Because again, I have a, I have a, a, an in-law. <laughs> who says females and it's so it's so cringy and it is that kind of thing that you're kind of you're, you're getting ready to meet him you're like oh how long before he says females and then he's there chatting away It's, it's like, because the females and it's like oh god like, yeah I was, in a, I was in a pub the other day and there's a couple of females and it's just like oh, oh
1: god. god yeah and this is it it's they're all very organic on that subject i think i was trying to think about a, any kind of thematic idea that underpins Friday night dinner, and I think that's basically what it is because the final episode is called the females, and they went into the they went yes. into that final that that sixth series, assuming it was going to be the last as it turned out it will be because of the tragic death of Paul Ritter yeah. who played Martin, which was really sad absolutely.
0: and and it was
1: absolutely oh God gutty. and it was really really sad to see him on the documentary that they did, when, probably a matter of weeks or months before his death, where he was suffering the effects of being ill. Uh, and he, he looked so different. And and he was amazing how, how, well, he sang, how well he came across. They thought that it, it had come to sort of a natural end point, even if they had ideas for things later. And who knows, it might have well come back later on or for some specials and things like that. But it's quite a perfect ending because it ends with... Johnny and Adam, both getting girlfriends at the same time, both introducing them to... And, they, you know, they did have pe- girls come around at various points before. There's one episode where Johnny got married. Johnny what got married arc, in Vegas yeah. and came back with an American girl and and, and Adam yeah. had this really awkward <laughs> date once that came around there and, and all these different things. But it was... It feels like the general arc... And they, and they sort of say it in the dialogue in that they sort of both go, well, oh, we've got to grow up now, haven't we? So it almost feels like... Because they both become dads at the end of it. That both of their girlfriends are pregnant so it it feels a bit like a a rite of passage in a way it's that like, almost like this whole show has been that sort of rite of passage in that they're both grown men their thematic underpinning of this that it's all about growing into becoming grown men with your own family and moving out of that transitional space from being teenagers and little ch- and children from the the from the very sort of traditional family setup that they that they then go back into every week and Jackie's a very perhaps overprotective smothering mother at times particularly with Adam and Martin's the eccentric dad who's just a little bit bonkers is it about that transition point from that age into being a full on grown up and starting your own
2: i think there's a lot of that at play definitely when you look at it like i do we're going well, i'm sure we're going to like talk about favorite episodes and particular episodes but i think that, that that final episode is is one of the best because it is the kind of the culmination uh, because like we said there's no kind of, you know there's not really any progression of story you know there's, there's no kind of like big moments where people kind of like move forward or there's any kind of like big character development it's just general gentle which again I think is something that keeps it very realistic you know as as people as individuals we're constantly changing but certain dynamics we have don't change so every time I go and see my parents I've grown a little bit I've matured a little bit I've maybe had experiences that I do or don't share with them and my parents are the same but the moment I walk through the door they are my parents again and it's the same as it has been since I was a teenager and I think that the the dynamic that the show has is you know in the way that the boys revert back to being you know horrible teenagers bullying each other and and acting like kids and you know when Johnny is there and he's you know, uh, acting like the the little boy and and getting kind of like coddled and you know and phrases like bobble and stuff. It's like it's this kind of regression into the into the family dynamic uh, and the kind of like I guess you could almost argue that that a family dynamic evolves and changes as the kids grow and then you hit sort of like late teens of potentially go off to work, go off to university, leave home. So it's almost like that's the point at which the relationship freezes uh, i think both i think both um johnny and adam have i think i think they've both been to university i'm pretty sure so we can imagine that their relationship the family dynamic changed basically when adam hits 18 adam hits 18 uh johnny is you know probably like 16 at that point uh and then adam leaves home so it's like they've been teenagers until the point that the relationship severs it doesn't sever when they're adults so they are kind of frozen in time in that way whenever they come back and all four of them are together again like it it reverts back to that point of you know 18 year old 16 year old and it never it never really changes it never really moves beyond that until that final episode and I think that you know the girlfriends the females and the idea that they because we know so little about mm. them. We see them that one time, you know, we're there with Jackie. That's our first yeah, exposure. Yeah. But they've been hinted at since since the first episode of that series. Uh, and again, it's this idea that I really like that the boys are off leave, leading proper lives. They have proper adult lives and they only regress when they come home. So they have met these women. They have fallen in love with these women. They are at a point with these women. So for, for Jackie and Martin, it's insane. They meet these women and then they find out that they're mm. having babies and everyone's over the moon about it that's quite sudden <laughs> like if if, the, if if the first time i had taken a girlfriend home to my parents and said this is my new girlfriend and then she said by the way robert i'm having a kid and i went that's amazing let's get a flat together my parents might have gone oh okay yeah but it's because J- yeah. johnny and adam are living real life so they've got real relationships with these women and the yeah. thing is, is that we we understand why the parents haven't met them earlier. We understand why the parents only get to meet the girlfriends when mm. the boys know yeah.
1: that
2: these are that this is the one. Uh, to be honest, I'm kind of like that. My, <laughs> no, um, I'm I'm no gentleman player. But my parents, I've had lots of girlfriends that my parents never met because oh yeah, same. I don't yeah. introduce yeah, you don't introduce them to your parents until you know that they are you know. The, you know the one uh, and it you know my parents always knew it's like oh well if we've if we're meeting her then he must really you know he must love her it must be a serious relationship and I think that it, it is that honestly but I think I think it is that that drawing the line in the sand I don't think the dynamic is going to finish I don't think that that you know they never go back for Friday night dinner and Martin doesn't suddenly become sensible and the boys don't stop bickering but it's almost like Jackie and Martin suddenly acknowledge that their sons are adult men. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's so much potential for narrative, you know, the first Friday night dinner that they don't go back because they've got their own family, you know, not going back for Christmas and Hanukkah and other holidays, leading their own lives and stepping away from Jackie and Martin. There's plenty of comedy potential in that, but we don't need to see that because actually, they're happy and everyone's happy and you know the, the comedy conflict in this show is not about you know bitterness over you know moving on it's about the silly things it's about selling sofas or dead foxes so i think it is i think it's a beautiful it's a beautiful ending the whole
1: thing is martin mm. puts glass accidentally puts glass in all the food and then he's having to try and prevent them from fi- Jackie yeah. exactly finding out and he goes to the, <laughs> and then the best bit is when it's all sorted seemingly <laughs> and they've got the crumble at the end the crumble crumble and they go do a speech martin and he gets a glass and he taps the glass he goes here yeah and then he smashes the glass all into the crumble again And they all go you've done it again yeah like this it is hilar- truly <laughs> hilarious and, it, and it's and it's so it's a really really great strong episode in its own right as a finale you know are funny in the sense but it also like you say it does that I think you're yes. absolutely right. You could have seen them with the babies. You could have had Jackie as the grandma and all that. You could have done all that. That You could absolutely have done that. And a more conventional show that ran for 10 more series could have absolutely, would have absolutely done that. Yeah. But it, it's not the point of the show, really. The, underpo- the underpinning top. point of the show is exactly as you've described. It is that when they bring these females into that, that space, that regressive space, and those women see them as those little boys again, which is exactly what happens. For the first it's, time, like, they, yeah, would, they would... They see them, don't they? In that, in, and they would have described it. They would have, di- and they did. They, you know, they said to them, "Stay in the car while we sort of prepare the ground for you to come in," because they know what's going to happen. And so they've, did that, so their girlfriends love them enough to be okay with the fact they would have told them about yes. all of the madness. And they come in, and they're fine with it, and they adapt, and they become part of it. But at the same time, they're the ones saying, "You've got to tell your mom. You've got to tell your mom. You've got to do the grown up thing, and yeah. don't go along with your dad's ridiculous schemes." You tell your mom, and you're upfront <laughs> about it. And that's exactly what your wife would do or your girlfriend would do. The right girlfriend exactly. who isn't going to come in and then go, this is weird, I'm leaving, you're all strange. That they, they buy into it and they're okay with it and then they're all dancing by the end. And I think that's the key in that they would then come round when they have with their children or whatever, on a, maybe a Sunday afternoon, they might not come round for Friday dinner anymore or they might come round for the odd one. But the dynamic would be different. It would be very different. And, and it's the end really of that ritual that they've had for years and I think that's the key and that's why it works so well and the show doesn't have to necessarily describe that in a way but well I think that I think the most important
2: thing and I won't lie even as I was watching it I, I had little little twinges where I was worried they might go down this path which which they didn't is that the show doesn't present any conflict in this shifting relationship it's like there's no sense of you know Jackie wailing and like these girls are taking my boys away yeah, and you yeah. know and, and, and there's there's none of that it's like all they are is is happy and, and joyful but yeah it's 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 a it's a beautiful ending and i think it does it gives you all that you need you don't need any more you know and, and 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 yeah they 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 could have come back and done the odd christmas special which i think would have worked and and actually i trust them as a show you know robert popper is a writer everything that they've done if Three or four years from now, they had obviously, tragically, they can't. But if they had been able to come back and do a little one off Christmas special or something like that, I would have trusted them Um, in a way that actually I didn't. I didn't trust The Office when The Office announced its Christmas special. I was a little bit like, oh, oh, this this could go this could go the wrong way. Whereas something like Friday Night Dinner, I I would absolutely trust them to come back and and do another um, off even after that brilliant ending.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've we've actually got some. Um, we've got some listener feedback from our. You have been watching uh, community group on Facebook, so we'll talk about that in a bit. In a minute, and see what other people have thought. But what would we say our f- our favourite episodes then are of the whole of the whole show? Before we do that, have we got any? Is there anything particularly that leaps out to you that you that you love? I,
2: I found this really. I was thinking about this quite a bit. I find it really difficult. And in, in in some ways, because of the sort of the 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 confidence and the quality of the show, like we said, isn't not not every episode is is amazing, but I think that so many episodes are so strong. It's almost like it's almost like if I said, "Oh, this is my favourite episode," and then you mention something from another episode, it'll set me off laughing. And I think, "Oh my god, that is so good!" because Almost every episode has at least <laughs> one like fantastic scene or amazing moment. I've got a so I've got I do have what I would say are my favourites, my three favourites, but it's a slight cheat because I think there are some episodes which maybe are funnier. On, oh, like like the return of Mr. Morris I think <laughs> is is fantastic. I adore like that is an episode that I It's like pump rockers, pump rockers, get your hands off. <laughs> Look at her bosoms. That punk rocker. You're not a punk rocker, are you? Like I just piss myself every time. I piss myself with that episode. Um, the other Jackie. Yeah.
0: I think is fantastic. Really good. Uh,
2: so they're so good. Again, like brilliant performances. The other Jackie is brilliant. I also. So so this is the sort of the example for me. I adore the the surprise party episode. Yeah,
1: that's really good. Um, yeah. But I
2: don't actually think it's that funny. It's not the funniest episode by a long yeah. shot. There are much funnier episodes. There are cleverer episodes, but I just really enjoy the 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 dynamic. You know, it's, it's it, we've hit a point in the show where you really know who the characters mm. are. But sorry, I'm 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 digressing. I'm, I'm I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to stall slightly before I get to it. My three that I would say favourites for very particular reasons. I would actually say the very first episode, the very last episode, and the Christmas episode. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: and. The, the kind of the key reasons we've kind of touched on the last episode uh you know everything i've said about it everything you yeah, know, everything you've said about it these are all the reasons why it's it's one of my favorites uh, i think it's one of the most perfect last episodes and genuinely still very yeah. very funny but the the first episode and i do think that there have been funnier episodes since the first episode but i think it's an it's an amazing First episode of a thing in terms of establishing what the show is and what the show will Mm. be uh i can't think of anything as good as that first episode because it's so simple this concept of the, the 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 two boys are coming around for dinner and as soon as they walk through the door the the action is already happening something something is going on the parents are slightly bickering and then this idea of like the guy coming round to collect the sofa yeah it's so real and so relatable played by
1: matthew holness because it's... as well from oh, uh, yes yeah. Nice little. well the, yeah, yeah. the
2: whole show like across every series they the sort of the guest performers it's like it's an amazing yeah. who's who yeah of uh of, of comedy performers but it's 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 wonderful. It sets up the show and the dynamic of the show beautifully because it is very realistic. We've all you know, we've all done this. We've You know, we buy things on eBay, or we sell things on eBay and you have those awkward moments of like, oh, that guy's coming around to collect the table. When's he coming? Well, I said after 630, but he asked if it could be after 10 because he doesn't want to pay the congestion charges i said this guy's coming around at 10 o'clock he's like yeah yeah but i'll just give him the tip all right you know i bought a fridge on ebay once and i turned up and the guy's like oh yeah it's in the back and i had to like walk through the back of a garage and round a corner and he'd done absolutely nothing and he's like oh my back's a bit sore so i so i'm there like struggling carrying this fridge freezer through this tiny little space because you know it's this sort of weird awkwardness which is which is very relatable and then of course you throw in the the slightly more outrageous dynamic of of his his dad dies and then they're kind of like stuck there and they don't want to be rude yeah. or insensitive but they're trying to get on with their lives so i think as a as a first episode um and as a primer for this show as a whole uh, i think the first episode is 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 amazing so i i i put it as my favorite even though you know, Return of Mister Morris <laughs> makes me laugh more. And then, and then the uh, the Christmas episode. I I love the Christmas episode for for various reasons. One of which again is that it's just very funny. Got all those kind of like relatable beats to it. You've got horrible grandma. You've got the stinky dog, which is kind of like you know half. Dead. It's like most people at some point or another have had to engage with a relative's stinky, dying animal.
0: <laughs>
2: and it, yeah, it's, it's a very, very funny episode. And I'm a, I'm a huge Christmas mm. person. I, I adore Christmas in all its kind of, you know, in all its shapes and forms. But something that I really like about that episode, which is why I put it up as a favourite, is that I think it's, one, it's a really good example of... Christmas being celebrated as a kind of purely secular holiday, because I think that's something that we, we we do in this country. I think Christmas has become a very sort of secular holiday, which I think is good. And, you know, I I have Jewish friends and I, I have Muslim friends who just celebrate Christmas because everyone does it and it's fun and it's nice. And, and, and I think this country in particular, you know, we don't have things like Thanksgiving, but Christmas kind of like fits the bill. And I think it's really nice how casually they are doing Christmas, because Christmas is nice and it's fun. And it doesn't matter that they're Jewish. They just do Christmas. They do a few presents. They make the house look nice. uh, You know, and then Jackie kind of freaks out about the Christmas tree because she feels like it's a step too far. But you kind of feel like it's not really that it's a step too far. It's more that it's just dirty. She's almost... It's a moment you feel like she's almost using being Jewish as an excuse to not want a dirty house. And and I, so I really, I really like that. I think there's, again, yeah. this kind of realism sort of a, a play because, uh, you know, it has all the trappings of a Christmas. But, you know, some weird person dressed as Father Christmas, an annoying in-law, a Christmas tree falling over. These are all, you know, bad Christmas gifts. These are all mm. Christmas standards for Christmas episodes of things. But it's just really nice because they could have done they could have done a Christmas special that was around Hanukkah and basically exactly the same things could have happened. But I really like the fact that it's around Christmas when they are Jewish, because there's a there's that that sort of realism of the kind of the engaging in that kind of secular celebration of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the fact is, with the Jewishness of the show, which was. Never intended to be. Robert Popper said he never intended to be a, it to be a Jewish sitcom. He wanted them to no, be Jewish, no. and it for not for it not to be dominant. But it's that whole. They only really bring the Jewish stuff out when they're trying to get something from it. Off the time. So there's the great episode right at the very end. I think it's the penultimate episode where they make Jim eat all of Val's horrible rice pudding because. They make they say it's a it's a great Jewish tradition. <laughs> so he's there eating yeah. these six bowls of rice pudding, which he hates, <laughs> and then he doesn't vomits it out the window. And Val's no Val never knows; she's none the wiser because she thinks they've all eaten the rice pudding, and it's a great yeah. Jewish tradition. So it's things like that that they that they do quite often. So the Jewishness is 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 they're, they're like lapsed Jews in, in this in the same way that you get lapsed Catholics and you get people who are you know Christians or whatever. Who don't really engage with all of the stuff they don't necessarily go to church every week and all this kind of thing, and that makes them more real as a family because you know you would have, not all Jewish people are obsessed with the synagogue and are constantly going and doing all this. Some people are just Jewish and they're just Jewish, you know um and I think I think the testament is that Tracy Ann Oberman, who played Val, said it was really she's Jewish she's the only I think actually Jewish person who was cast in the cast. And she's the. She said it was. It, she thought. I think. He it, thinks it, the way they did it was really good. You know, and that, that it was. It was conveyed really well, and and lightly mocked in a way that is relatable. And you know, through characters like Jim putting on. I've got my little Jewish hat. You know, <laughs> he puts the what a yamoka Jim, and he's like, yes, my Jewish hat, and he puts it on <laughs> his head. So you know, it's it's really clever the way they don't make it that it's got to be about them being Jewish. They just are. And like many, many families in the UK are. And that's great, I think. That's really good. It's it's inclusive without being too pointed about it. You know, I think that's really good the way they do it.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's that thing. And and maybe this is another conversation for another time, but it's this thing that you imagine were it, for example, an American Mm. sitcom, they would really lean into the kind of the Jewish culture side of it or this this, you know, playing up, maybe even getting cheap gags off the back of of them being Jewish. But I love the fact that they just happen to be Jewish because it's something we forget sometimes, Uh, you know, as a as a as a predominantly Christian society. Let me just get just get a little bit deep here. (laughs) As a predominantly Christian society in this country, we are used to the concept of Christians that were born and Technically raised Christians who are mm. particularly Christian, we we the idea of somebody saying, you know, oh yeah, I'm Church of England, who has yeah. never been to church, we we're familiar with this concept, but then when presented with someone who is Jewish or, or Muslim, we immediately just assume that they are more mm. devout mm. than us, whereas actually it's exactly the same. There are so many, you know, particularly, you know, there are so many kind of like Jewish families who are. You know, no more or less devout than you know the Christians who don't go to church and sort yeah, of believe in God.
0: Definitely.
1: So I think
2: it's lovely to see that to see that represented there. No, it's really good. I think I think I'm trying to remember. I think several of the cast are Jewish.
1: Oh, um, are they? Oh, I, I, might I, I might have got that wrong then. I might have got that wrong. There might well be some of the other cast might be Jewish as well. I I, I apologise if that's not if if I, I've got that wrong. If anyone can correct me on that, feel feel free to do so. Um, but. Yeah, I, I I like the fact it's not of the way they do it. I think it's good, and it would be interesting to hear from Jewish people and see what they think about about this. But um, I for my for my favourites, I've already said the females, the final one. Yes, I'm also going to yeah. say um, a couple of ones actually in the same see, series, series five, which I think is one of my favourites. Mm-hmm. The tin of meat, I love the tin of oh. meat where Mark Martin's Mar- got thirty year old <laughs> meat in his shed, <laughs> and it's that because it's that classic dad thing of. It's fine, you know, eating the food. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's okay, you know. It's gone off like ages ago. It's all right. And then <laughs> it's when he eats. It's a brilliant comic beat when he's like, "Look, I'm gonna prove it's fine," because Val's trying to get rid of the tin of meat. He's like, "I prove it's fine." He eats it, and he goes, "Look, I'm fine." And it immediately cuts to him on a <laughs> on like a um a, a stretcher with like his, with an oxygen mask over his face. <laughs> and it's so good it's such a great comic beat and it's it just it, it's ridiculous but it's absolutely relatable that he'd have you know Martin has a shed full of crap that he doesn't need you know he uses his, his toilet as his office you know he's, he's just that classic middle-aged ridiculous dad who just collects crap and has no you know bores everyone to bits and it's just I love that I think that's such a clever such a clever examination of that so my next one after that is the episode Wilson which is the final episode of season uh, five, the penultimate season. And I think the reason I've gone for this one is because it's maybe the one true moment of Friday Night Dinner where they really tap into the pathos and the sadness around the character of Jim. Because... Obviously, he's had, as we've talked about, he's had Wilson, the doggies, Wilson, the, Wilson. <laughs> Wilson, the dog he's terrified of for like five years, and he's, you know, he's, he's like, he's not a, a horrible dog in any means. He's just a normal dog, yeah. um, and he's just been scared to death of him for five years. But then, when Wilson suddenly dies out of the blue, Jim is, Jim just breaks down, and it's, and it's, a, it's a, such a sad moment in that even like Jackie is crying. The lads are really sad. Martin's sad, and they all, it all, all all the comedy just for a little bit until until Jim basically turns around and goes, "I'll get a new dog in the morning." Yeah, Bye. <laughs> <laughs> right until that point, um, it's, it's it's really heartbreaking. And Mark Heap is fantastic in that moment because you've you've spent five seasons five series with him and that dog, and. I mean, aside from the fact, I mean, pets just, when pets die, it's just, I think people are sadder about that than when humans die most of the time. Oh, (laughs) yeah. You feel, I just think you really, you really feel that. And I think the way they did that was absolutely brilliant at that point.
2: Yeah, I think it's funny. I think it's interesting. You're saying about like the moments of pathos, because I think that if you really look at the series over a whole, some of the key moments of pathos have been with, uh, with Jim because it's like there's the well, one of my favourites, the Christmas episode where he sing. The episode ends with him singing a carol. Oh yeah, and he just yeah. he just sings the carol out, and he mm. sings it. He doesn't sing it brilliantly, but he sings it nicely and earnestly, and everyone has a little cry, and it's and it's beautiful. And then some of the not quite as as not quite as sort of in in your face as Wilson dying or the carol. He has a few moments like, especially when he's sort of trying to 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 date or you know there's a few little moments he he has these few little moments where they kind of feel sympathy and sadness for him so i think it's i think it's interesting that that some of the biggest moments of pathos come down to to jim
1: well i think it's i think it's because he's inherently i mean he's obviously a play on the weird neighbor trope you know that you'll get yeah in, in in real life you know everyone's had that weird neighbor or weirdo on the street who you know, you just, their house looks strange and old and decrepit and you barely see them and all this kind of thing. You know, he's he's a play on that idea. But he is he is inherently really sad, a really sad middle aged man who doesn't really have anyone. And you get doled out a little bits of his backstory, like when his dad fell to his death off a cliff or whatever. Yeah. Um, and all, all this kind of thing. Um but just it was it's we were laughing, but it's not <laughs> it's just the way it's delivered. Um, it fell it's from how a he towel. To go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh it fell from a towel. No, oh no, a tower. Um it's just single. <laughs> but but I think I think it's because of that portrayal in that Markeep never makes him too distantly strange. He makes him weird, yes, but likably weird. And yeah, you wouldn't want him in your house, sure. But at the same time, he doesn't ever seem like he'd hurt you. And I think that's that's the key with Jim. He just wants friends. 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 Friend, he just wants friends, friends really. Friends.
2: Shalom. Shalom.
1: <laughs> you know? and that's it's, the... So it's quite a, he's quite a sweet character, really, isn't
2: he? Yeah, and it is the nail on the head, you know, that he... Yeah, he does want friends and he, he wouldn't hurt you. That's the thing. It's like you could easily... You know, it would only take a little tweak in the performance... For for Jim to be actually a bit scary, uh, and and most most of the time the nutter on the street, so to speak, the weird neighbour, so quite often they can be a little bit scary. Which Jim yeah, never yeah. is. It's like it's always it's always sympathy and it's always empathy. Yeah. Even though I think it, yeah. occasionally I think they are a little bit too mean to him. I think yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. there's the odd yeah. the odd episode where I'd argue that they yeah. they're a little bit too mean but I guess it's the frustration that they find of his because also we're seeing Friday night and the boys see Friday night Uh, Jim's there every night obviously Mm. you know yeah yeah yeah. he's there every single night every morning you know it's like (laughs) if you you know that it's constant the (laughs) the level to which he is constantly there and he's not there to see the boys he's there to see Jackie Jackie. so if Jackie's there Jim is there yeah 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 (laughs) You look nice. <laughs> I do the. I can't even remember which episode it is, but I because I, we've talked briefly about the the surreptitious catchphrases in this show. Yeah, I do love the one yeah. episode where she looks horrendous and he opens the door and he goes, "You look." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> is, what a brilliant it's payoff! <laughs> it's probably about about series four or five or something. It's like yeah. brilliant
1: payoff. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so good there's so many point little things with jim he's he's, he's a really good character and and that that I think yeah to, to do that with with the dog was a really was a really great moment in the show and yeah okay he gets Milston, the new dog and and all that kind of thing so he's okay in the end but it still doesn't take away from the the real sadness of that moment and I think that's a testament to this show that it managed to do that so yeah th- th- those are my three episodes so th- those are the key episodes guys to go off and have a watch um or revisit um because i'm assuming you've watched the show if you've listened to this because we've talked about it in detail but yeah those are the ones to go away and have another look at um because they're probably the apex of the show really
2: so but the the best way to watch them is to watch all the episodes before them get to them then watch all the episodes after them that's my advice yes
1: yeah i would probably agree with that Uh, (laughs) just watch it all just watch it all guys Um, watch the whole damn thing The whole damn thing. So we do actually have uh, in this episode a little bit of listener feedback because we're going to try and drip that in now to the show uh, where we can. From our uh, group on Facebook, you have been watching, a British sitcom community. So do join that. Do find us on Facebook and join in the conversations. So yeah, we asked people if they'd seen Friday Night Dinner and we had some responses. So uh, Colin Jackson Brown says, definitely a modern classic. I'm often really late to stuff like this. So I only started watching it at the start of lockdown last year and binge the whole thing over a few weeks, consistently funny all the way through with brilliant characters, also it inspired my wife to learn how to make chula, which is absolutely delicious well um I've never had it have you rob <laughs> uh, you know what i've i've actually I have had it and I've made it yes oh oh really okay yeah. so
2: do you agree with Colin is it delicious oh it's delicious i mean it's kind of like it's it's a bit of a brioche. Kind of thing, but it's more oh, nice. ready. Okay. It's 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 really nice. If you if you've had if you like brioche, I think you'll like it.
1: Neil McNamara, who says, "I love Friday Night Dinner. I think the writing is decent, but the cast really elevated it. Super performances all round. Mark Heap and Paul Ritter really stand out." Shit on it shouldn't really be all that funny, especially when repeated so often. But somehow it made me laugh every time. I think, like we talked about earlier in the show, the part uh, the the catchphrases are just really good in this show. They're some of the best, I think, that we've had in British comedy for many, many years. So, you know, I think I think even though there's more to it than just catchphrases, I think it really will, like, stand the test of time with those.
2: Definitely. I think, you know, we, we've we kind of said as well throughout the show, and, and I think Neil's got it right there, that, um, you know, the, the writing is good, but it's definitely the performances that make this a standout. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Ian Garfield says... We started watching about a year ago or so uh, just because it was on Netflix and we thought we would try it. After two or three episodes, we were hooked. A definite modern classic. I think it was because it was so relatable to our households anyway. <laughs> the fact that it was such a simple premise but allowed so much scope for stories without being outlandish or over the top. I'm sure everyone knows Jim as well, which, as we've talked about, yeah, I think so. And and I think he's right about it being completely relatable. I mean, I I, I absolutely – I've only been married – three years and i've been with my wife for six and already there are absolutely moments where we we go this is martin and jackie isn't it we absolutely do already and and so i think so i think there is a real relatability about this show for people
2: definitely i mean you know my family are weird my partner's family they're weird You know, every friend that I have, they have weirdness in their family. It's all so relatable. Uh, But I think as Mm. well, um, the idea of, you know, just spotting it on Netflix and giving it a go. I think that's one of the interesting things about this show is it does seem to be such a word of mouth show. And Mm. I I quite like the fact that because maybe it wasn't the biggest... You know, everybody knew about it at the time. Everyone was screaming about it, you know, adverts everywhere. Because of that, I feel like there's going to be quite a long legacy of people discovering it almost almost afresh, which I think is quite nice. I think that's and there aren't many shows, you know, yeah, there are shows like The Office there are shows like Only Fools and Horses, even outnumbered. But these are shows that all got kind of like promoted quite a lot. So people, even if they've not watched them, may know about them. But I quite like the idea that people might still be discovering this. It's a, it's an interesting legacy, I think, to have.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree. I agree. And now they're all, you know, on easily accessible streaming, as Ian saw it, um, then even better. So, yeah. Our final comment is Nathan Passad, uh, which says, I love it. I saw the first series when it aired and for some reason believed they would only make one. I don't know where I heard that. Then later when I was on DVD binges, I would see a second series and think I'll get this next time. But other things uh, keep getting in the way. Anyway, fast forward to 2018, and I meet these mates who are younger than me and ask if I've seen it. And I discover, to my shock, they made loads more series. I really need to get around to getting them all. They're on 4OD, I believe. What is it? Something like five or six series worth? I've seen not even so much as a clip since that very first series, but one of my mates says, hello, Bambinos, a lot. Now, so obviously, (laughs) Nathan's got a lot of great stuff to come, so hopefully you'll get to that, Nathan, but... Yeah, uh, if you've seen the first series, then you know what the show is because it doesn't, like we've said, it doesn't really change a vast amount over that time. But I think it, what he's saying speaks to just how much this cut accord with younger audiences. I mean, I I, I, I saw in the um, in the documentary they made about how during lockdown there were people with lines from the show in in university halls on their windows and things like this as part of protests. <laughs> I can't remember what the lines were now. It was shit on it and stuff like that. I think when they were talking about what the government were making them do and all this kind of thing. So that just shows the cut through, I think, for Friday Night Dinner.
2: Yeah, and I think that there's um, it does actually appeal cross-spectrum because obviously, obviously, if you're, you know, young adult, even very late teen, you know, it's very easy to look at, you know, you look at the boys and you, you, you feel the show through the boys and you're kind of like, oh, good grief, you know, my parents are like mm. that. But also I think that parents can watch this show and go, oh, at least I'm not as bad as Jackie and Martin, even though they're worse. <laughs> but it's yeah. like, there's, there's, and, and also because they have their parent, you know, their parents, you know, the, yeah. the horrible grandma and, you know, nice, you know, yeah. nice grandma and stuff. So it's very, it's very cross spectrum. Yeah. Um, but You're also what about. Nathan, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I know Nathan, it's like we've, we've we discussed many a sitcom together. And I know, I, I kind of know what he means about you know, assuming that this wouldn't have gone further. You watch it and you think, well, Channel 4 aren't going to make any more of this, obviously, because they never make any more of anything good. And then because it maybe wasn't as promoted as heavily as, as some other shows, I, I don't think it's it's not that crazy that some people kind of like missed it. You know, there mm, was, mm. I mean, in the middle of it, because they had some long gaps, you know, there was there was the odd series that I didn't
1: realise was back until it was right back on top of us. Yeah, yeah yeah it was really it would suddenly pop up again and you go oh wow it's back yeah uh, as much as it, it's, it's popular it, it there's it sort of borders that cult you know and popular status i think it does a weirdly it sort of doesn't it both yeah which is quite unusual but I, I think it will only grow more and more you know posthumously really uh, as time goes on um so thanks everyone for your comments there um for future episodes keep them coming um that'd be brilliant and just the last real question this ties into what we've just said in in the, I mean will this stand the test of time Rob will people still be watching Friday night dinner in 10 20 30 40 50 years
2: do you think I I definitely think they will because mm. of you know of all the the praise that we've we've laid at its feet and all the things that are positive with this I think there's a blueprint there uh, f- that makes it kind of s- uh, posterity I can't finish that sentence but I think there's a there's a blueprint there in the show you know the the simplicity of it the fact that it doesn't um doesn't really have a strong through line apart from a few character beats I guess Mr Morris is the the sort of the strongest through line um you know it's like you loosely watch the series in order but because it's very easy to dip in and out of um that means that it doesn't necessarily date. It means that you can watch it with a bit more freedom. But also, it's one of those shows that I don't think it's... There's nothing necessarily unpleasant in it. You mm. know, we, we have... Obviously, we've talked about Faulty Towers. And no matter what the the motivation of the writers might be, there's some stuff in there which other people might find uncomfortable or distasteful. Kind of the same with The Office and mm. although i think that people might start to reevaluate jim potentially as we get a stronger and a more sympathetic understanding of of the different members of our society i do think that the show treats him with a certain level of of respect and and sympathy and empathy so i think mm. it's kind of it's it's quite a comfortable safe show as as mm lame a compliment as a horror you know it sounds like a very sort of like wishy-washy thing to say I think it's quite a comfortable safe show which which will allow it to sort of like ride out posterity so I do I do think and so many of the so many of the topics in it are universal parents will always be yeah. weird yeah kids will always be embarrassed and people will always be going home for dinner whether it's Friday yeah. night dinner Christmas dinner or just Sunday lunch it's yeah. uh yeah I think it's got I think it's got potential to, to really
1: last. Same. I, I, I really agree with that. I think for all the reasons you've said, I think the simplicity of the idea and the relatability of it, uh, and, and for the simple fact that it's funny, I mean, and I, and I can't imagine that a lot of these jokes are going to fade, fade in time. I really do think the, the way the humour is delivered and the nature of it and the how organic it is, I think will persist. So I, I absolutely think this one will still be watched in decades to come, and I, I hope so. I do hope so. I mean, I mean, I, I absolutely in maybe about ten years or so would like to go back and do it again. Definitely, once I've forgotten a lot of the jokes, I yeah. could <laughs> go back and enjoy it again. Um, probably will be that long now, but one day, absolutely, because I think there's real rewatchability in it. So, so yeah. That's it's been great to chew through this, go into it in detail. And um yeah, it's been a lot of fun, Rob. So uh we'll be back for another um deep dive into another comedy soon. So uh until then, point people towards where they can get a bit more of what you're up to. Uh
2: yeah, as always, I am on Twitter, for ducks which is F-O-R-D-U-C-K-S. Uh and that's basically where I promote everything that I'm doing, whether it's uh, more podcasts on We Made This and I have got a few more coming up that I'm going to be involved with and a couple that uh, I'm really looking forward to and uh, any writing that I have done or might be doing little projects it's always there. I also rant about politics and things which frustrate me as well so you've got to feed through that before you get to the good stuff Um, (laughs) but I uh, uh, as well on the We Made This network um, stick my name in there and quite a few things will start coming up now various uh, uh, various podcasts I've been guesting on
1: yeah, you can find me at We Made This Network at WMT underscore network uh, and uh, at the website wemadethisnetwork.com. So uh, check me out over there. You can find me personally on Twitter at AJ Blackwriter. So yeah, check me out over there. Um, and, but thanks for joining us again for another episode. And as I say, remember, we're part of the We Made This podcast network. Please subscribe to you have been watching and give us a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, because it really does help us get more traction, because that's how Apple works. They like to bump up people who get the reviews, so that'd be great if you could. And if you want to help out our network and the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash we made this. Friday night dinner, however, is not all we're discussing, so we'll give you a taste of what else you might have missed on the network in just a moment. But until next time, you have been listening to Tony Black. And Robert Turnbull. And we're off for a lovely bit of Squirrel. BYE Elsewhere. And we made this. Chucky Vision. The next poll is a little bit
2: more interesting. It was survive or die again with the adult characters. And the characters were Logan, Bree, Michelle and Detective Evans. And the Chucky Vision listeners predicted that Detective Evans would survive... The week before she died on the show
1: (laughs) (laughs) i remember that yeah that uh we made that poll well i was gonna say premature we made that poll probably at the perfect time yeah
2: i think so (laughs) and um they also predicted that the character that would die would be michelle and looking at the characters michelle is the only one of the four that actually survived
1: Free with this month's issue I was looking up what the point of the band name was because obviously Black Country being sort of like about a mile away from where I am right now yeah. Black Country New Road they have said it's a metaphor for a good way out of a bad place so f*** you <laughs> not going to endear themselves to many Midlanders with that uh, you know Dudley Zoo and Wolverhampton Civic Hall are fucking ace <laughs> yep both of those places <laughs> <laughs> well done, Colin. Yeah. Successfully defended yourself with two locations. I have. All right, West Midland Safari Park pretty cool as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> frame to frame. This episode yeah. was our Christmas horror film episode. Yeah. Now you mention Gremlins. Whoa. Where was that a week ago? Well, I mean, what can I say? <laughs> i mean Um, genuinely this so you should you you really you should have consulted the ghost of christmas yet to come and you would have been able to see this situation happening before it did so this (laughs) is episode 81 of the podcast right and i will flat out say to you now this is the worst film i've watched for this podcast it is worse than sextet it is worse than cats i just hated everything check out all of these shows and more on the we made this podcast network